0: As I listened to several of the podcasts we've done, many of them talked about the risk of taking any street drugs. Well, this made it clear to me that it's time for a closer study of our country's drug laws and their outcomes. Statistics show that the present drug laws discriminate against the poor, especially black and brown people. They are arrested for the same exact drug crime at about twice the rate of white people. It is very difficult to stop especially younger people, from experimenting with almost anything where harm may result. Hence, the need for harm reduction is very important to study. The present drug laws probably make it easier for harm to result, and this too must be looked at. Yes, I know, many people in our divided country might use politics to question changing the statutes. But let's think, people, if the government, through legalization, were able to dispense substances that are medically pure, as some states have already done, if anyone experimented with this substance for the first time, the result would probably not be lethal in most cases. Presumably, there would not be fentanyl in them, which is killing many, many people. Isn't protecting a country's citizens the prime directive of its reason to be in existence? I am only asking for all solutions to be considered and studied. I am not an expert. I don't know the answer, but we need to come up with one soon. So let's put away any reasons that aren't scientifically tested and proven to form what our laws should be. We are living in the 21st century. Like it or not, science is not political, and it never should be. It is made political by people's agendas. Remember, science has proven that you won't fall off the world if you keep traveling east. Hey, hello there. It's good to be here. Actually, it's good to be anywhere. This is H. Lee, a.k.a. Harris Insler, and you are listening to T-G-M-B-H. These Ghosts Must Be Heard, a podcast that shares stories and interviews with people who have suffered a loss due to OUD and to others who might be impacted by OUD, opioid use disease. Our Our guest today, our first and last guest today, is Annette Walters? Hi, Annette.
1: Hey, how are you today? It's a, it's an honor and pleasure. First of
0: all, you know demographics. Where do you live? Describe your area.
1: Okay. Um, yes, I live in, um, I live in Georgia. It's about 25 miles northeast of Atlanta, Georgia. Pretty much, we've lived here almost all my life. The boys um, had two boys, Chase and Casey, and um, so they were both raised here. At the time, we lived in Johns Creek nice area and that's where we lived.
0: In one sentence, doesn't have to be the best sentence. How would you describe Chase?
1: Going to be a long sentence. <laughs> Chase was full of life and would brighten any room that he walked into. <laughs>
0: What was your favorite trait about Chase?
1: He loved people. He had a heart of gold. There was not a stranger to him. Very charismatic, beautiful smile. Every time, I mean, just, just gorgeous smile. That's why when he walked in a room and just lit up like a lightning
0: bolt. Do you have any like, particular stories about Chase that you might want to share with the audience?
1: Yeah, also okay. This story, and it, this was when he was um, sixteen. No, he's seventeen years old. I didn't know it, but he was looking online for a truck. He was working at the time. I think he was doing landscaping. You know, still going to school. So he came in the room one day. He was all excited. Mom, mom, I won! I won! I'm like, what are you talking about? Where did you win? He said, Well, it was on eBay. And I made a bid for this truck and I won the bid. I said, Oh my gosh, I didn't even know you were doing that. You know, what? How much is it? And he goes, um, Well, here's the thing, Mom. The truck is in New Jersey. <laughs> so we have to fly to New Jersey. Oh man. And then drive it back home. And I went, what? Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, just flipping out. Like, why didn't you talk to me? He was so excited. It was a a white pickup truck. But here's the thing, 12-inch lift on it. So it was one of those, you know, really big trucks. He got a good deal, about $7,500 on it. Truck was in really good condition. Man that we bought it from, the couple was super nice. Anyway, we drove that truck home I think, if I'm not mistaken, like a 16-hour drive home. Woo. I just knew it was long. <laughs> we, and we drove straight through all the way, just driving in that 12-inch lift-up truck. I was kind of freaking out at first because <laughs> we're sitting way up there, and I'm in the passenger side. eye level with the drivers and the 18-wheelers. And we just, we had a good time, though. We laughed and listened to music and sang on the way home, and he was just real excited. And then, of course, when he took it to school, the next thing you knew, it was. It seemed like it was a matter of weeks. All of a sudden, all the kids started getting lifted trucks.
0: <laughs> well, you know how kids are. You do the thing, and then you ask for forgiveness, right? Exactly.
1: Pretty upset about it. It was like, what? And then the more I thought about it, I thought, well, you know, he had been looking forward to, you know, just driving and getting his vehicle, and he'd saved money, and so... So we did it. I made the best of it. Glad I did.
0: Besides, you know, liking trucks, what are the other things that you like, hobbies? He's an athlete, right?
1: Growing up, he did a little bit of everything. He played football, ice hockey, basketball, and then really as, as kind of more of it in the teenager years, but him and the kids, the neighborhood kids, they were so into skateboarding and they would build their own ramps. Yeah, they just loved that. He loved snow skiing. He, he definitely loved the skateboarding. That's for sure. Both of the boys did.
0: Yeah, my son also. Yeah. He wasn't into organized sports. He loved that. And Frisbee. Had he ever talked to you about what he wanted to do in life? Like what was his goal? or?
1: You know, it is it is very interesting. Chase told me that he wanted to be an engineer, like go to Georgia Tech and be an engineer. He liked to kind of build things and thought that, you know, that was something that he wanted to do thought that was awesome i'm like yeah absolutely that's what you should do and so he had talked about that
0: what would make chase laugh
1: well with his personality it didn't take much because (laughs) chase was a joy to be around just a would make jokes and laugh he would probably be the one that would make other people laugh Like, for instance, when he would run up to me and mom and he would grab me and pick me up and, you know, my feet would go off the ground and swing me around. And I would just laugh and say, oh, Chase, stop. I miss those. Now, that's one thing
0: I really miss. Yeah, Zach was a good hugger, but I miss a lot. of. Yeah, Um, miss that. I think I read that you said when Chase was 15, he first started some interaction with drugs.
1: Yeah, he... Real quick, kind of just growing up in general, if there could be such thing, which I know there's not, as a perfect child, (laughs) he was almost the perfect child. He was just kind of more quiet, a little more quiet, a little more reserved back in that time. He just was so good. The teachers raved about him. He is so polite. He's so respectful. Just a great kid his brother, Casey, they were two and a half years apart. So Chase was older. So growing up over the years, they played well together, but I had to play referee as having two boys. I played referee a lot. You know, boys will be boys, but they got along great. And then he got in middle school. That's when I noticed that he kind of could tell he had smoked marijuana. I just, you know, let them know that that's unacceptable. You know, of course, him and all the kids, uh, no, God grew this plant on earth. You know, It's, it's a natural herb that God grew. Yes, Chase, we're Christians, but no, it's still illegal. It's not, if it's illegal, it's illegal. So that's the end of that. So I just started, you know, setting my boundaries that it's unacceptable. You know, can't do this. And that was kind of the start of it. And then, of course, every now and then I would catch him. I could tell, you know, by his eyes or smelling it on him or whatever. And then that's when I could actually start telling that his attitude started to change. Now, again, he's in middle school. He's getting on up there in the teenage years, which can be challenging years. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yes. As we all know, it's always uh, choices of friends you hang out with also. So that was pretty much the start that I noticed that everything from that point started to slowly start going downhill for Chase.
0: So when this happened, did you think he might have had maybe I don't want to say mental illness, but maybe he was anxious on the inside or insecure about something as the cause for maybe why he was self medicating. Something must have been going wrong. That's a great question.
1: Um, No, I didn't. Um, At the time, his dad and I divorced. Casey was six and Chase was eight, but his father and I got along very well. It was really sad that it was a divorce, but a blessing that we could parent our children together. We got along very well. We respected one another, which I know is maybe rare, but uh, we did. Even that we were divorced, we raised the children with the same morals and values and Christians, and, and that was a blessing. And so Chase and Casey, on both sides of our family, they were still blessed with lots of love and support. So I did remarry. We still got along fine, though. But no, nothing... Nothing out of the ordinary was going on. And, and again, Chase had been a great kid all these years. The only thing I could tell was this certain crowd, of people to hang out with. That was more of an influence
0: on him. Because he was probably looking for a place besides the family support. He's out there in the world too. So maybe that's what he was looking for. Because look, he was a kid when yeah. this happened, right? We don't know what goes on in their minds. Who knows? But it's too late now cuz the problem is there.
1: Exactly. And I talked to him about it, this certain group of kids he was hanging out with. And I don't like to stereotype anybody, but the, you know, you could tell they were
0: they were doing something that Chase found he could share with them, I think. Yes. You have to feel you belong somewhere besides the family because look, the goal of of parenting and kids is supposed to raise them so they can get out of the house. Maybe, right. I don't know. I'm just trying to get get some clarity myself because I, I had this, you know, same problem, different in ways. But we have to figure out as a society how we can nip this in the bud before it gets worse.
1: Right. So that's kind of that's that's where it started. And and I I would talk to him about it and say Chase, you know, shouldn't hang around them. And one thing started leading to another. Then the next thing you knew, he was skipping a class. And so just going through all those challenges. And I did a lot of what I call tough love. And one of the reasons I went down that road is unfortunately, I saw my sister go through the same thing with addiction. He started doing pills, Xanax and OxyContin. And I saw my sister go down this road with him and I wanted to make sure, at least I tried to nip it in the bud as quick as I could.
0: It's possible that there's some gene, we all have certain genes for addiction, More pe- mm-hmm. some people are more prone to that, doesn't mean they'll become substance abusers, But if the wrong circumstances are in there, you're starting behind the eight ball, that may be affected.
1: And we've, I've thought about that too, as far as, no, my sister's side, it was her husband, his family had an addiction problem, but that wasn't a blood relative to Chase, if you will, because it was my sister's husband.
0: So when did things
1: get worse? At the time, I thought, you know, the best thing to do was to, at the time, my lived in Alabama. I sent Chase to temporarily live with them. Um, he went to school there and he loved it. He, he was okay with it. Private Christian school, he thrived. And that was for about six months. When I brought him back, I had my own house with Casey, his brother. We just kind of started fresh and everything was good for a while until back in high, the same high school, And then started hanging back out with the same group of friends, started going back down that road. One thing started leading to another. I used to tell them, you know, that you can't smoke marijuana, you can't smoke pot. To me, it's a gateway drug. Then you're just going to want to start trying other drugs, you know. Oh, no, I would never do that. I would never do that. All my friends know that. I would never do anything else. Well, peer pressure, you know, you're going to hang around them. Yep. So we started trying other stuff. And then when he was 17, I found out he was doing heroin, shooting up heroin. I just couldn't believe it. And Chase admitted it. He said he had been doing it for about six months and he said, I need help.
0: And I said, we're going to get you help. That's good. Cause I was just about to ask you, did Chase come forward?
1: Yeah. And I was relieved that number one, he was willing, he wasn't denying anything he said, yes, I have. And I do need help. You know, he, he realized it. He recognized it. And so I sent him away, uh, you know, to this program. And he did good. That lasted for several months. You know, it was something stupid. He got kicked out. One of his friends that he worked out with sent him a workout magazine. And that was against their rules. And they kicked him out for that.
0: How to work out your body?
1: yes. That was very sad. You know, he came back home and, you know, he would do good, you know, for just a little bit and then just start slipping again. From that point, it was very challenging. I mean, as a single mom at the time, I was playing multiple hats. You know, I'd try to be a tough dad, then be the sweet mom. And I'd sit down with him. I said, "Okay, you've done it. You skipped school. You've tried it. Now it's over. I said, you know, you do it one more time, there's going to be major consequences. So it was like the day before we were supposed to get a driver's license, the school, you know, called me and he had skipped school. The next day, he didn't go to school either. So the next day I said, okay, I'm going to take you, drive you to sure you go to school. And so I did, and then found out that he walked in the front door and walked out the back door. The next day, I had his father come over the house to take him to school with me. He refused to get out of the bed. So we went on round, round for like 30, 45 minutes. And I said, Okay, Chase, I'm going to count to three. We're the adults. You're going to school. And I'm going to count to three. If you don't get out of that bed, I'm going to call 911 and have the police take you. And I said, One, two, three. And I dialed 911 because at this point, he's just totally defiant. And I would tell Chase, too, it's a parent's job to teach their children to respect authority. Because if they're not respecting the parents' authority, they're not going to respect the teachers. They're not going to respect the law. And it's a trickle effect. I'm on one. Of course, they were really nice. They came and he jumped right out of bed when they got there. They talked to him and they drive him to school, but the police followed him. And then the police left the school while Chase was still in the car with Jerry. Chase refused to get out of Jerry's car. And so Jerry calls me and says, what am I supposed to do? I said, drag his butt into the principal's office. Jerry just brings them back home to the house because Chase refused to get out of the car. Well, I just called 911 again when that happened. When the police showed up, Chase ran in the backyard, you know, just ran so the police couldn't take him or whatever. Eventually, the police just left and then Chase came home that day finally and, and that, you know, so that was a start of a long, long road.
0: At the time, what did you know about the effects of heroin on body, mind? What did you know?
1: So I was very familiar with oxycotton or Oxycodone from my sister's
0: son. But the heroin... said you lived near the heroin triangle? Oh, yeah. yes. This is why I asked the question. I would have probably the same answer that you have, because down in 2006, I just knew what I saw in movies. Exactly. I just knew, oh these are no good addicts, they'll rob and kill. And the thing is, why would a kid like Chase? I mean, he was like the all American kid. Why? Not why did he start it? Mm -hmm. But what we didn't understand then was that this shapes your brain, your brain doesn't Mm -hmm. stop forming until you're about 24, 25. Right. He really didn't choose to become a heroin addict. And that brings us into the whole question of stigma. So we, mm-hmm. we were flailing about as parents, what's going to happen? You know, you're mm-hmm. crushed and you don't realize because we didn't know he he was very willful. He wouldn't get out. Mm-hmm. Your chase would never have done that.
1: Mm-mm.
0: That's the problem we're still dealing with. And that's why we're doing this.
1: Especially, you know, when he would come home and I could tell, he was using, the demeanor and everything about him. I was no longer dealing with my son,
0: Chase. I was dealing with a drug. No, it's the drug. That one woman that I had spoken to, she said that opiates are the cancer of all drugs. Once you're on it, it is, the statistics are horrible. You know, 10% make it through. The others eventually die of this. And a very small Mm -hmm. amount of people, believe it or not, are functioning heroin addicts. And I did not realize that that was possible because of my conception of what addicts were like. You, we saw our kids become something else. And I
1: agree with you. Like, like when I found out first, found out. Chase was doing heroin and I was just blown away. It was like, you know, that's only in the movies, those movies where you see him in the alleys. And I said, like, no, not my son. He would never do that. I mean, again, we did live in a very nice area. And what's sad was that then I learned about the heroin triangle in Atlanta that we lived in. I didn't realize how much it was going around. And there were a, a lot of kids doing it. Once Chase tried it the first time, He told me, you know, through the years and as we talked, it was almost like he was hooked that first time of trying it. But, you know, he tried to get help again. He went, you know, multiple times in and out of rehab. I mean, I know I had to kick him out of my house at least three times and change my locks because he would come in and steal from me and his brother. And I, I, I had to protect my other son, too. So those were very hard times. It was hard as a mom
0: to have to do that to my son. Just a just hard road. How did you find out that Chase was gone? Ugh. Chase was in a
1: rehab. He had actually um, been in one program because he turned 21. He got kicked out of this one program because, of course he brought alcohol in or snuck alcohol in to celebrate his 21st birthday because he could legally drink alcohol. They found out about it. Of course, the people that run the program and kicked him out for that. He was actually um, court ordered to go to rehab. He didn't finish the program. When he got kicked out the next day, he was in court. He immediately used because when he left the program, he came to my, called me. It was midnight. Him and that other kid, he said, mom, we got kicked out and coming to your house. And as soon as I opened the door, I knew they had already used, I could tell by their eyes. And, and I was just trying to stay calm, you know, y'all go to sleep, you know, Chase, you got to go to court tomorrow and let's just get through the night. Well, anyway, Chase went to court the next day. And he was able to talk to the judge. He found another program, told the judge he was sorry, messed up. The judge said, okay, I'll let you go on this other program. But if you mess it up, then you're going to spend the rest of the time in jail. The reason he got into this program was they really didn't have any ads available for Chase in the in the beginning program he really shouldn't have gone into this program, but the guy in the program, he said Chase begged him. He was so desperate because he knew he had to find another place because of court and etc. So the only bed that they had in this program was for advanced men. So these men were gone on the weekends. They had weekend privileges and more free time because it was for the advanced program. So Chase knew this and he had already used the night before. So Chaled a friend of his and said, "Hey, I just you know want to go get some more. They know it's already in my system. I can maybe use, and then I have to. It's the last time I'm going to do it. That was uh, Friday night, and I talked to him Friday night. The men were gone in the program Saturday and Sunday. His roommate came home Sunday night at like ten o'clock, and that's when he found Chase in his bed." and he was dead from an overdose in a rehab house. And then we found out that he had been dead for probably about a day and a half. And so how I found out was Monday morning. And for some reason, Chase always gave everybody, you know, my, my name and number for emergency contact. But for some reason he gave his dad's, well, unfortunately, Jerry at night turned his cell phone off. When he turned it on going to work, he got a phone call, like multiple, three of them saying, call me, it's emergency, it's Chase, it's an emergency. When Jerry called him, they let him know that he passed. So Jerry called me at like six o'clock in the morning and woke me up. He said, Annette, Chase is, Chase is gone. And I said, wh- what do you mean he's gone? Where did he go? And so we kept doing that. And then finally he just said, you know, no, Annette, he's, you know, he's dead. And then that's just, yeah, when I lost it,
0: just couldn't believe it. When this occurred... Did you just tell people, did you just tell them why right away or did it take a while?
1: No, that's a great question. Um, And I respect because each parent or family members choose to or not to disclose that information. And I respect if they don't want to. However, me, no, I was out there from day one. You know, most people, I mean, family, everybody knew that Chase, I've been struggling with Chase for three years. So it wasn't anything new. It just, it was reality. You know, he would do good and we'd have our Chase back and then he'd slip and oh, here we go again. So I was one of these parents that from the very beginning did not hide it, came out out in the open. This is what he died from.
0: It's very true, even back then.
1: Thank you. And I mean, one of the main reasons I did that is because there were a lot of kids using that might not have been heroin, but they were using drugs. I knew some of his friends, you know, that were still using and to make an impact of this is why I died. You know, the awareness again, it, all it takes is one time. It could be your last time. I mean, I was overwhelmed. I mean, they couldn't even hold all the people in the funeral hall. It was, they were all out in the hallway. I mean, it was just packed. Yeah. So I got up and, you know, gave a speech and told some great stories about great memories for Chase, but also hit it home to all of you out there, you know, that are using, you know, this could be you next. And then I became an advocate for drug awareness and prevention. You know, he, even though he struggled, he was going to church and I, actually honestly the week before it happened and we were just in church together and i mean he loved god but he knew he battled this demon and i call it the demon drug he he thought that he was going to overcome and that god was going to use him to reach out and help others struggling with addiction because he had walked their shoes and i believe that too that's what i believe you know i was so of course when it happened i was so devastated and didn't understand but but now i understand god is using him And Chase's story, he is making a difference.
0: Yeah. Uh, I know you were active after he died, Pathways to Life. Could you tell us? Yes. Yes. About that, please.
1: Yeah. I got connected with Pathways to Life. And he does this program that is a, a drug awareness, drug and alcohol awareness and prevention program that they go around to high schools in the metropolitan Atlanta area. And it's about an hour long program. And the whole high school sees the program, comes in the big gym and sees the program. And so I kind of got involved with them. And so what they did was they had actually me and two other mothers share our stories that all three of us lost our sons at the age of 21 from drugs. And so he ended up doing a 10 minute video of us sharing our story and pictures of each of our sons. And at the end of their program, they show this video. You know, me kind of sharing the story and then showing Chase's pictures and what happened to him. All of the kids, they would fill out, they gave them this little form to fill out after the program and ask questions, you know, what was, what impacted you the most. And like 99% of them said the video, the video impacted me, the video. And so Chase's story is seeing over 25,000 or 50,000
0: students see Mm -hmm. his story every year. That's great. And I also, I believe you're in another group, Not in Vain. Yeah, years.
1: so there was a group, it's, it's actually a private group, but it was actually a private group on Facebook, and it's called Not in Vain. It's one mother that lost her child, and then so she started this group for mothers all over the United States or whoever, you know, that lost a child through drugs or alcohol, and it was a support group. Well, she never dreamed that when she did this, I mean, it snowballed, and and this was just a couple of years ago that she did this. They started once a year; they do a conference in St. Pete, Florida, and it's a conference, a you know, three day conference. And didn't have it last year because of COVID, but we yeah. went the year before. That was my first time of going, and it was just wonderful. I mean, the healing, the tears, the sharing of just helping mothers get through
0: the stigma i know you were able to overcome that but a lot of people can't this happened to us 15 years ago haven't i really
1: heard about back yeah
0: i know post. it was like not in this neighborhood You know, I think there's something to be said about socioeconomic levels, family, and some kids, you know, don't have that. And it was demonized in those underserved communities. That was part of my picture of what a junkie was. Well, now their grandparents can be junkies. 12-year-old kids can be junkies. Doctors, lawyers. It's stigma. I think we need so much more money put into research because this is a never ending cycle. It's been going on for hundreds of years in countries all over the world. What do you think is a good way to overcome stigma for people who've suffered the loss? And that's
1: a good point as far as the stigma. And again, when your son passed, even when Chase passed back in 2010, that was back in the early days. Honestly, when our sons passed, that's when it really, I think, started coming out. The epidemic started spreading. You know, not to refer it to anything, but it's almost like when AIDS come out, you heard about it. just Right, rich trips and dreads. No, and then all of a sudden, it, everybody got educated and aware, and okay. same with us. Ours was the early stage, but now with the fentanyl, that just throws in the whole nother, because now it, it could be pills, it could be anything. In fact, I know some people, unfortunately, kids, yeah, just took one pill laced with fentanyl, and that was it. If I got your question right, as far as the stigma, I feel maybe it's changed some because everybody knows now there's doctors, there's lawyers. They are educated, wealthy, wealthy, even in Johns Creek area. It's the heroin triangle part of it in Atlanta. So that stigma is goes out the door. Right. It's even your wealthy people.
0: Exactly. Look, we have to ask our politicians. You know, groups like Shatterproof. Are you, are you familiar with Shatterproof? Yes. Yeah. yes. I mean, they're such a great group. And they're, yes. they're, work, they're doing the work. They're doing the heavy lifting. They have to get the politicians involved. And that's what they do. Yes. Gary's a great guy. Tragically lost his son too. We got to fight this. And yeah, I think the picture for the future, if the government, it's an enormous amount of money, but you have to do it. You're killing the youth. You're killing everybody in this country.
1: And, and I think they're, they're starting to work on it. Even I think here in Georgia, they're working on programs to help them out because they know go, just throwing them in jail isn't nice. curing anything. They, they understand, they know this and it's, they're seeing the same old people through the revolving doors. So they have in, incorporated some programs that have funding, state funding to go into these programs. That's good. That's from all the hard work of a lot of people, you know, getting involved and making awareness and and bringing it to the politicians' attention.
0: You look at places like Oregon, where some people say, this is not the way to do it. My philosophy has always been help to heal the world. Some of these programs are counterintuitive. Oh, let's give them heroin. So what would that prove? It would prove, what have we been doing? We've been arresting, like you said, come in, come out, come in, come out, die. Why not try? And even the scientists are now saying, let's keep them alive under supervision of a medical doctor, a mental health doctor. Yes, you can have your heroin, only this amount. I don't even know the machinations of how they do it. But to me, you keep this person alive and who knows, maybe there's a breakthrough. Instead of street drugs, and like you said, one little extra gram of fentanyl, they're dead. I, I just don't think that's going to help. You have to try bold, different things. Everything we've tried has not worked. And the politicians who don't know that, they don't care. I think I'd asked you, what's a life lesson you learned on the sheet I gave you? And you said, love people unconditionally. And it doesn't matter who they are. They're people. Yeah. And that's the bottom line.
1: You got to help and you got to love.
0: It's one thing I always
1: told Chase. I mean, Chase loved me, even though I was, I did tough love on him. Yes. I called the police and yep. I've even gotten him arrested before again, consequences, but Chase would tell me, of course, he'd be mad at the moment, but later they, he, he respected me so much more. He knew I was doing it because I loved him and to teach him lessons because I didn't want him going down that road. And then, you know, when he's sober, he didn't like who he had become. He didn't want to be that person. So I always told Chase anyways, that I always loved him unconditionally. I didn't approve of, of course, that lifestyle or the drugs or illegal drugs, but regardless, you know,
0: I always love you. Yeah, I think that's and- the message. It's not the person, it's the drug, which, doesn't mean they have no responsibility
1: right because they are human beings does become a I don't know that could be a controversial thing depending on how long they've you know done drugs or been an addict and addicted becomes a little bit of a mental disorder no different than oh. anorexia or yeah. or bulimia you know an addict so it, it's a little bit of a mental disorder at that point you just need to get help
0: That's it what that recovery is all about yep. Yeah. Just Just love. Like you said, just love. love. Annette, thank you so much. Hopefully a lot of people will hear this. Who knows if we keep doing this hundreds, thousands, not just me, but all the people who are involved in this movement, in this community, maybe one day we'll live to see that, Hey, we found a way.
1: There's even some of Chase's friends that have overcome. There is hope. That's great. So that have overcome addiction overcome heroin addiction, overcome oxycodone addiction, and they've been sober for years. So there is hope. It's a tough road, but they made it.
0: Thanks for listening. We appreciate it very much. To stay tuned with These Ghosts Must Be Heard, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at These Pod. And take a look at our website, VoicesFromTheOpioidCrisis.com, to hear more stories and share your own if you'd like. Our podcast is now streaming on Spotify, Amazon, Apple Music, and coming to more soon. So there's plenty of ways to hear these ghosts. And as Zach used to say, peace out.